Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Fasting. Like, what a strange idea. Like, why in the world would anyone want to be hungry on purpose? Like, why would you allow yourself to be hungry and not eat right away? Why would you have an appetite and not immediately satisfy it? Like, why would you ever deliberately deny yourself something? Isn't the road to the good life about making sure anytime you have a craving for something, you find a way to satisfy it with the shortest delay possible? If you're a parent, isn't the number one rule of parenting, make sure your kids always get whatever they want the moment they want it? If you're looking for a potential spouse or a potential employee, isn't the number one quality someone who demands the immediate gratification of their every desire? So fasting is kind of strange. Uh, I'm not going to try to talk you into fasting. You're not going to want to do it. Uh, I know it's a strange, ancient practice that has no place in our enlightened world. I mean, it's for little emaciated monks in loincloths, you know, who enjoy being miserable. Except for the fact that Jesus did cover it in the Sermon on the Mount. So we have to talk about it. In fact, it's not just Jesus. If you look at people in the Bible who fasted, it's kind of like a who's who of scripture. Uh, Moses fasted. Uh, So did King David and Elijah and Ezra the priest. Uh, Prophets like Zechariah, Jeremiah, and Amos fasted. Uh, Isaiah called for a great fast that would be connected to social justice and care for the hungry and the poor. When Esther had to risk her life by protesting to the king of Persia, she first went with her friends to spend three days in fasting and prayer and called every Israelite to do the same. Uh, On Yom Kippur, the, the Day of Atonement, all of Israel would fast in repentance for their sin. Then in the New Testament, an old woman named Anna was actually prepared to recognize the baby Jesus by a lifetime of prayer and fasting. Uh, John the Baptist fasted. Uh, Jesus himself began his ministry with 40 days of fasting and prayer. And I know, I know, I know, you don't need to fast. I just have to tell you what the Bible says. When the apostle Paul met Jesus, he fasted for three days. And then later, the early church worshipped with fasting and prayer when the Holy Spirit told them to commission Paul for ministry. And then later, Paul would fast and pray to identify elders for the churches he began. Uh, In the Bible, fasting is associated with uh, repentance from sin. Uh, Fasting is is also associated with great breakthroughs in prayer and life. Fasting in the Bible is often a part of worship and often accompanies requests for guidance. And I'll tell you how highly fasting was regarded in this weird world of the Bible. Uh, You may know this story. Jonah, he went to preach at Nineveh. I mean, he didn't want to go. He tried to run away, but he was swallowed by a whale and then regurgitated. 
And he preached in Nineveh, the probably the worst sermon in history. You know, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Like that was his whole sermon. Now there was nothing about God's grace or what to do. Uh, but look at the response. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. I mean, this is a, a pagan city. On their first day of faith, they fasted. Not just that, the king of Nineveh issued a proclamation. Do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. I mean, it was not just the pagan foreigners, their animals are fasting. I mean, the animals probably are not very happy about this, but they're fasting. But the only characters in the book of Jonah who didn't fast were Jonah and the whale. Actually, the whale does kind of a reverse fast when he gets rid of Jonah. So, so really, it's only Jonah. And I know, I know, I know, you don't need to do this. But just out of curiosity, why was fasting such a big deal in the ancient world? In fact, it wasn't even invented in the Bible. It was practiced by sages like Confucius in, in ancient Greece, Socrates and Plato and Aristotle all fasted. It was considered a helpful practice for human flourishing. In the Bible and then particularly with Jesus, it becomes a way to experience and to depend on the reality of the kingdom and the presence and the, the power of God in ways we'll see. Fasting is simply the practice of abstaining from food, uh, possibly drink or possibly other things for a period of time. And you could decide how long that period is. Uh, it has to involve a long enough time to experience some hunger, uh, like the time between breakfast and lunch doesn't count as a fast. Uh, now, I first began to fast when I was in graduate school and I learned how much the Bible has to say about it, uh, but I didn't want to do this. And I'll say a word about this because you may have the same thoughts. Uh, I love food. I love Zachary's pizza and uh, um, Amakara sushi and you know chicken littles with mashed potatoes and corn from Cheesecake Factory and Ben and Jerry's American Dream. I mean, I love chocolate and cinnamon rolls and pancakes loaded with butter. I, I love eggs over easy on sourdough toast. I love the jelly donut and Five Guys cheeseburgers with grilled jalapenos and Popeye's spicy chicken sandwiches. And I, I mean, I love Orville Redenbacher and Betty Crocker and Colonel Sanders and Mrs. Butterworth and the Pillsbury Doughboy. I mean, these are some of my heroes. <laughs> now, fasting doesn't mean it's wrong to love food. Like food is good. Food is God's idea. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount to pray, give us today our daily bread. But our desires need to be disciplined or they become our gods. The first thing I noticed the first time I fasted was I got really hungry. I realized how much my body insists on having its own way. I began to learn about the kind of grip food has on my life. I discovered how I might use food or drink or some other substance to try to comfort my flesh, to, to avoid having to face boredom or the fear of something or a lack of self-worth or inner emptiness or a feeling that my work doesn't have value. I began to learn this when I fasted. 
And then there's this, in fasting, I began to discover it's possible to have an unsatisfied appetite and still survive. Eventually, I can learn it's possible to have an unsatisfied appetite and thrive. I can learn in small ways the art of suffering happily. And I know, I know, you don't have to do this. You don't need to do this. But it's very interesting. At Stanford University, one of the famous research studies of the 20th century got conducted. Uh, it's now called the marshmallow test. Uh, researchers would give a marshmallow to a five-year-old and then tell them that if they could resist the temptation to eat it for a period of time, they would get two marshmallows. It was something like Genesis 3 for kindergartners. You know, you must not eat of the marshmallow of good and evil. And then we watched the ancient human struggle between appetite and self-control. Now, I don't know what your marshmallow is. Maybe it's pride. Uh, maybe it's a wrong relationship. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's being judgmental. And then we'll talk about that in a few weeks. Maybe it's indulging in resentment. You see, what temptation does is it whispers, you're entitled. Uh, like you've been working so hard. You've already resisted so much. You know, your spouse doesn't understand you. You're entitled to be happy. What you want is not that bad. What you want will feel so good. You see, the children in this study were learning to do a tiny little 10-minute fast. And what's remarkable is the children who, at the age of five, were able to say no to the marshmallow, they grew up to have healthier bodies. They, they did better at school. They were more successful in their work. They had more stable relationships, and they had fewer problems with substance abuse. Fasting is a little practice God gives that can help you be in charge of your body instead of the other way around. This is a great time to talk about the role of spiritual disciplines in the life of a disciple. Uh, Paul wrote once about athletes trying to win a great contest. This is what he said. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it, that is to go into strict training, to get a crown that will not last. But we do it. We do what? We go into strict training to get a crown that will last forever. Now here's a concept that was tremendously helpful for me. Uh, there's a huge difference between trying to do something versus training to do something. Let me make this a question for you. Think about your own life. Could you go out right now, today, and run, not walk, but run every step of a marathon? Okay, now let me just kind of put it another way. Could you go out right now, today, and run, not walk, every step of a marathon? if you tried really, really hard. Now, my guess is you may be able to eventually run a marathon if you did one thing, and that is train. What does it mean to train? To train means I arrange my life around activities that will enable me to eventually do what I cannot now do. And, you know, we tend to overestimate what we can do by trying you know, trying really hard to do it, and we underestimate what we can do by training. And as a general rule, this is just wisdom about the human condition. Transformation involves training, not trying. 
This is true in almost any field in life. It's true in athletics, it's true in music, it's true in your intellectual life, and it's no less true of character formation or spiritual life. This is why Paul says, train yourselves for godliness. This is why Jesus said, the student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. So spiritual disciplines are practices or activities that train us or give us power to live in the goodness of the kingdom of God. And I know words like discipline or training are awful words. I mean, they're just like, they sound really unattractive. Who wants to do that, right? Now, this is really key. Spiritual disciplines are not necessarily unpleasant. What discipline you need to practice depends on what you're training for. You know, if you're, if you're training for a race, you'll need to practice running. If you were training for a pie eating contest, what would you need to do? You would need to practice eating a lot of pie. I mean, if you eat a lot of pie every day a year from now, you'll be able to eat a lot more pie than you could today by trying really hard. In the Bible, for instance, one of the great commandments is to rejoice. Joy is listed second in the fruit of the Spirit. And often people hear that and they think, and I have to try really hard to be more joyful. No. I mean, it kills people when they think spiritual life is just about trying really hard. It's no better, no better than trying really hard to go out and run a marathon today. You can become a more joyful person if you train for joy. Now, this will involve what is sometimes called the discipline of celebration. And you'll notice the writers of scripture have a lot to say about uh, feasts and holidays and music and expressions of praise and gratitude. And so if you struggle with joylessness, take one day a week and just train for joy. Have a day of celebration. You know, wear what you want to wear, what you love to wear, eat what you love to eat. You know, that's the marshmallow day. Listen to music that you love to hear. Be with people who fill you with joy. And there will be other people who drain you of joy, who are like black holes of joy. You know, tell them, I can't be with you today. This is my joy day. I'll be with you tomorrow. You see, the purpose of spiritual disciplines is always freedom. The reason a, a, a pianist practices scales is so they're free to play great music without worrying or uh, being effortful. And this is also true of great athletes. The purpose of disciplines, including spiritual disciplines, is to be able to do what you need to do when you need to do it. Spiritual disciplines are a means to an end. And which ones will help you depend partly on what you struggle with. I mean, if you wrestle with gossip, the practice of silence will probably help you with that. If you tend to like isolate, the practice of fellowship will probably help you with that. If you wrestle with hurry, then to like deliberately practice slowing, like on purpose drive in the slow lane of the freeway for a month, I mean, that will help you. Now, fasting, see, is a means to an end. If you never struggle with impulse control, if all your desires have learned to uh, quietly wait their turn, if your appetites for food or sex or money or pleasure or power, you know, consistently say no, you know, don't gratify us right away, you know, then maybe you don't need to fast. And if you don't need to fast, then don't fast. 
or maybe that you struggle with an eating disorder. You know, just listening to this message has been really painful for you. Just the topic of food is painful for you. I just want to say, if that's you, uh, like I'm so glad you're listening. Blue Oaks is a place to find healing and hope. And I mean, and we're all just like a train wreck apart from God. And God wants to flood your life and your body with mercy and with grace. It may be for that reason or for medical reasons that fasting would actually be an unhelpful practice for you. Then don't fast. And by all means, don't feel guilty about this topic. You see, our quest is to live in the kingdom immersed in the love and the power of God, not to see how many disciplines we can practice. That's the wrong kind of righteousness. But for those of you whose body is particularly stubborn about having its own way, fasting can actually be a helpful practice. Now, the most important dynamic about any spiritual discipline is I have to practice it in a spirit of humility and freedom and surrender and grace. It's so interesting. The psalmist said, I humbled myself with fasting. There's this great problem in the spiritual life. You can get proud about how humble you are. Jesus told a story one time about a religious leader called a Pharisee who was really proud and actually prayed out loud, God, I thank you that I'm not like those other people. And then he said, I fast twice a week. You know, Pharisees often had a custom in Jesus' day of fasting on Mondays and Thursdays, which as it happened were market days when they would have the biggest possible audience. I mean, if you walk around saying, look at me, I'm fasting. I can do it for days. I, I love God so much. I, I make myself miserable and I can make you miserable too. Like you end up worse off than you'd, uh, than you'd been if you had never fasted at all. That's why Jesus describes another spiritual discipline in Matthew 6 that really helps with humility. Because you can't become humble by trying really hard to be humble. He says, now, if you wrestle with this, try secrecy. Do something like fasting, only do it without telling anyone about it. You'll learn you can live without the gratification of impressing people. In his day, when people fasted, they would often wear sackcloth. Uh, they would often put ashes on, on their hair, and they would sometimes end up being proud of their humble, miserable devotion. You know, unless spiritual disciplines are practiced in humility and grace for the purpose of freedom, I mean, they can leave you worse off than if you had never done them. But in the extremely unlikely event that you would actually want to really try this fasting deal, I'll give you two formats for fasting that you might want to attempt maybe even this week. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Since the beginning of the church, Followers of Jesus have used spiritual disciplines to train themselves to align with God and his work in and through them. As Matt said, spiritual disciplines are practices that give you power to live in the goodness of the kingdom of God. Fasting and celebration are just two of them. Author and theologian Richard Foster developed a threefold typology of inward disciplines, outward disciplines, and corporate disciplines. Philosopher Dallas Willard divides them into two classes, disciplines of abstinence and disciplines of engagement. Regardless of how they're categorized, the list of spiritual disciplines includes silence and solitude, meditation, 
prayer, Bible reading, journaling, worship, service, confession, and more. Whatever your personality or temperament, there are disciplines that you'll immediately connect with and others that will challenge you in new ways. Maybe spiritual disciplines are new to you. And as Matt has been talking, you've been thinking you'd like to know more about them and how to practice them in your journey with Jesus. Or maybe you want to learn some new disciplines to grow your relationship with Jesus in new ways. We want to assist you with that. You can email me at scotthouse at blueoakschurch.org and I'd love to send you a list of resources that will help develop and deepen your understanding, not only of what the disciplines are, but how to integrate them into your life. And as the Apostle Paul said, train yourself for godliness. Let's rejoin Matt and continue our look at the discipline of fasting. All right, in the time we have left, we'll talk about two formats for fasting that you can start as soon as this week. The first one is fasting as feasting on God. The time frame I first used when I began to fast was a 24-hour fast. I would begin at the end of dinner in the evening and then skip breakfast and lunch the next day and then eat at dinner again. Now, when I fast, I'm not just avoiding food. Uh, I'll make space to be nourished by God. Uh, Jesus makes a fascinating statement to help us with this. He fasts at the beginning of his ministry. And Matthew said, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. <laughs> I sometimes think this may be the single most unnecessary sentence in the Bible. Like, really? Like, you had to tell us that? But the writer wants us to know Jesus was a real human being, just like us. And he knew the pain of hunger. Now the tempter comes and whispers to Jesus, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Like, eat the marshmallow. You're entitled. You're the son of God. You don't have to deliberately suffer. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, Jesus means this literally. This again is not just a, a pretty saying. See, food literally becomes part of my body. I, I digest it and disseminate it. And then let's think about a word. A word comes from a parent to a child. You know, don't be afraid, I'm with you. That word from that parent literally connects neural pathways in that child's brain. Like it causes synapses to form that allow the child to regulate themselves, to comfort themselves, to engage, encourage themselves. Like a word literally becomes a part of your body. Your body is literally like physiologically, neurologically nourished by words, by the meaning and the reality words express. We, li we live in a kingdom of words. In John 4, Jesus is, and his disciples were on a journey. Uh, they had gone into a town to get food because everyone was hungry. And disciples uh, come back and find Jesus engaged in a spiritual conversation with a Samaritan woman. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. People will often look at a statement like this and think it's just another pretty saying. But Jesus was not a pretty saying kind of guy. Remember, uh, we've been learning this together. Jesus says what is most real about God is his kingdom, like in our midst. Jesus was 
feasting on the presence and love and meaning of his father. It's so interesting. In the marshmallow experiment, the key to the outcome is what researchers call the, the strategic allocation of attention. In other words, if you think about the marshmallow, you're gonna eat the marshmallow. I mean, if you think about not eating that delicious marshmallow, you're gonna eat the marshmallow. If you think about a song you love, then you won't eat it. In fasting, I strategically allocate my attention to God. You see, you can do that right now. You can take the word of God and you could digest it in your soul. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. What can separate me from the love of God? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I allow my, my body's hunger to remind me I'm not in control. Someone else is, and that's really good. Fasting is feasting on God, literally. All right, second, fasting is caring. One of the most powerful passages in the Bible is Isaiah 58. The people are complaining to God. Uh, they keep humbling themselves, fasting, praying, and crying out, and God doesn't seem to notice. He doesn't give them what they want. So God tells them the problem. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke and set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? The rest of that chapter is such a powerful connection between the power of fasting rightly practiced and passionate justice for the poor, the hungry, and the oppressed that it has inspired movements of social justice for over 2,000 years. You see, fasting, when it's done for God, is the opposite of self-centered preoccupation with, you know, look how pious I am. When I'm hungry, my normal response in the flesh is to think, how can I satisfy my hunger? I know the term the flesh can sound like a religious cliche. So when you come across it in the Bible, you might wanna think of this character, Cookie Monster. <laughs> he has a simple philosophy. See cookie, want cookie, eat cookie. Uh, cookie Monster is not big on self-regulation. You see, when we live in a day where for all our boastful pride and education and technology, many of the smartest people in our culture spend their lives trying to convince you that you are nothing more than a collection of appetites to be gratified. Like that's all you are. When I do an Isaiah 58 fast, I learn not to be obsessed with my own appetite, which is a glorious truth. When I do this kind of fast, when my body is hungry, I remember my brothers and sisters who are, hung who are hungry, but have no bread and have no money to buy bread. The, the temporary and very small pain in my body speaks to me of the ongoing and very large pain in theirs. God begins to grow a, a compassion in me. I train myself for compassion. I remember that I have money and I can be generous with it. Now, maybe God is calling you to give up something besides food. 
I have a friend who prayed about this, you know, uh, God, what might I fast from uh, during Lent? It was during Lent that she was doing this. And the thought that popped into her mind was, uh, this was the first thought, you could fast from coffee. And the next thought was, no, not coffee, anything but coffee. And the next thought was, well, God is probably calling me to give that up because it has such a grip on me that it would be hard to let it go. Maybe for you, it's coffee. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's whatever the thought is that when it comes to you, you say, no, no, not that. Maybe ask God to guide you in it. You know, we don't have to wait for Lent to fast. You can take the next 40-day period like that 40-day period of Lent and fast. Maybe you'll want to fast once a week during the summer months and use the money that you would have spent on food to deliver people from hunger. What if during the summer, our whole church began to get free from the clutches of appetite, the the insatiable desire for more, the, the weakness of the cookie monster flesh? Like what if we got more compassionate about hunger, need, poverty, and the desperate plight of the world? What if throughout the summer months, we feasted on the word of God? So ask yourself, God, how would you want to free me to live in the kingdom of God, to live in your kingdom? All right, let me pray for you. God, I just pray that uh, these words that I've just spoken would, um, would resonate, that, um, that they would be your words. God, I pray that my words would um, wash away, that your words would surface. And for people who maybe have never fasted, I pray that you would uh, help them to experiment with this as a spiritual discipline that could help them to grow closer to you, could, uh, could help them to uh, spend uh, more intimate times with you, or maybe grow a heart of compassion for those who are literally hungry. God, I just pray that you would use this spiritual practice in our lives the way you have used it in the lives of so many who have gone before us, to grow us, to draw us near to you, to change us, to transform us, the same you do with so many other spiritual practices. God, I pray that you would continue a work that you've begun in us. Help us to grow. Help us to become more like you. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, For directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, We hope to see you on Sunday soon.